Out of respect of your listening experience, our episode today has topics of murder, domestic abuse, skeevy online daters, and spoke to the potential of sexual harm. And with that said, let's begin the show. Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role our dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. One of the reasons I believe people are afraid to open themselves to their dreaming world is because on some level they know that A, they don't have much or any control over what will be presented to them. And so they are afraid of all of these vast unknowns. And B, that the dreams are not just psychological, that on some level they know that the material they may encounter has more access to the web of human experience than their operating paradigm allows for such spookiness. And there's no doubt about it that it's spooky. Dreams carry real weight. Dreams have access to past, present, and future. Dreams have access to your deepest, darkest secrets, fears, and wounds. There is no doubt about this. And while this can be a lot to navigate, no doubt about it, probably just scared away a lot of people. (laughs) I truly believe we receive what we are ready for. We may not always agree that we're ready for that, But some part of us does, and is constantly pushing our edge. Dreams also love prophecy and possibility. We all have this kind of inborn fear when we see something really horrible in a dream to immediately worry that it's showing us some kind of prophetic image. It's not always the case, and we can never really know until after something happens that a dream was truly precognitive. But in this episode, Kristen Cady, a hypnotherapist and clairvoyant psychic, shares with us a whole slew of dreams that she has had that have given her glimpses and hints into future events that could have caused great harm to her and or the people that she loved. And in the case of one of the stories she tells, something truly terrible did happen. Some people just have a natural propensity towards psychic dreaming, as you'll hear in the fascinating stories that Kristen has to share with us. But the more that you journal your dreams, you quickly realize how often your dreams are giving you a little glimpse into the future, into the events of the future, into situations in your future. This gives us dreamers a great edge. And speaking of edge, This story will be keeping you right on the edge of your seat. (laughs) We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you. 
Hello, and welcome to the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason DeBoard. And today we have with us Kristen Cady, a guest who is going to be able to talk with us about a type of dream, an experience of dreaming, that is something that everyone probably experiences it. We've seen the data that shows that everyone has, we'll call them psychic dreams. But let's just say ESP dreams, dreams that maybe show you the future, dreams that give you information that you can't really get any other way. You look at it and go, well, how did I figure that problem out? Or how did I come up with this solution? Or how did I know that there was something going on with a friend or a relative? It came to me in a dream. And the dream gave me information that I wouldn't have been able to know otherwise. So we'll call them psychic dreams. And while it is something that probably everyone experiences, I would say that there are relatively few people who have cultivated this part of their life, who've lived with it for years and can really talk about it in a way with all of us so that we can learn about their experience and then perhaps enrich our own dream lives through their experience and then taking it and applying it to our own lives. So Kristen Katie starting from a young age, started having dreams that are unusual. They are of this type. And she wants to share with us her experience and then maybe give us some information also that will help us in our own personal experiences and enrich our dream lives. So Kristen, Katie, thank you for being with us today. And I know that we wanted to start this interview by getting into your background of when these dreams started for you you've identified yourself as a psychic somebody who has the ability to perceive things that are beyond the normal means of perceiving things the five senses you know thought processes you've had this happening to you for a long long time now so will you tell us about you and where this started for you yes i'd be happy to thank you for having me I um, I come from a family that is primarily Scotch-Irish background, which has been said to have more of a tendency for psychic abilities, although I do believe anyone can develop their own psychic abilities. Came from a, a kind of a large family, five kids and the parents, and my mother... Um, I, I kind of hit the jackpot with the mother who was very metaphysically inclined, as well as her mother. My grandma um, is also quite psychic, which I didn't even find out about my grandma being psychic until much, much later when I was an adult. My mom used to teach us girls dream analysis, like at the breakfast table. She'd say, oh, what did you girls dream last night? And we would tell her our dreams. And she would say, oh, well, I think this means that. And, oh, that's interesting. Um, She even taught me once about lucid dreaming when I kept having these nightmares. A a lot of us, when we're little, we do have nightmares because the world is such an unusual place to us in those first years sometimes. I kept dreaming about a vampire that would chase me and I would be running and running, trying to get away from this vampire. And pretty soon before I know it, I would be staring at a black pit, not knowing whether I should go into the pit or let the vampire get me. 
So I was pretty distressed by that dream. And I think that's my earliest memory of dreams is that one nightmare. So mom told me, just tell yourself in your dream that you will be able to know you're dreaming. So I thought that was a pretty interesting idea. And as soon as she told me that, I had a dream that night that I was in a playground park and my little sister Shannon was with me and we were playing around the slide and she was walking up the ladder on the back of the slide and I was sitting right at the top and I turned over and looked at her and I said, hey, uh, Shannon, you know, this is just a dream and you can go home whenever you want. And so I said, bye, I'm going home now. And I closed my eyes in the dream and I slid down the slide and then I woke up and I was in my bed and my eyes were open and I was amazed. I was like, wow, this really works. Um, so that really started a lifelong love of dreaming and the dreaming process. My mom also taught us some things. I'll get more into the dreams later, but some of the other things our mom taught us was how to read an aura, how to, how to see an aura. And we, we grew up in the Pacific Northwest and we had beautiful flower gardens over there. And she would say, go, go pick yourself the prettiest rose you can find in the garden and bring it in the house. And, you know, so I, I did that. I, I think I was a little bit more interested in all this stuff than my other sisters. I put the rose in a little vase and she had me lean it against a, set it near a white or light colored wall. And she instructed me to just stare at that rose until my eyes went all blurry. And I did that and I could suddenly see the energy emanating all around the rose, which was the rose's aura. And I was pretty excited by that. So we, we would practice that sometimes. And she did another little game with us where we would, um, she'd have us go lay out in the yard in the summer when it was sunny and nice. And I, I, it was primarily my younger sisters that would do this with me. And we would just lay out there and my mom would say, okay, I want you girls to shrink that cloud right there. See that cloud shaped like a turtle or whatever. I want you to stare at that cloud until you make it really small. So I remember doing that and how much fun that was. And I mean, it was really an early lesson on the power of our mind and how kind of like how we can affect our environment more than we know we can. also had her my my mom's sister carol she was she was pretty open um i don't know how psychic she was or wasn't but something happened where that really set me on a course um i think i was around 10 or so so aunt carol she lived in this big old farmhouse raising her family there and i heard about what happened to her one night I think my mother was talking about it. 
um, Carol woke up in the middle of the night and across this big bedroom that she was in, her rocking chair was rocking and she saw a woman who was a ghost in the rocking chair crying. And Carol looked out at her and she said, well, why are you crying? What's wrong? And I mean, this, this, this ghost, this woman was just distraught and she said, well, I love you. I love you people. You're my family. And I know you're moving. What am I going to do? I will miss you horribly. And <laughs> it kind of gives me goosebumps just to, just to remember that. And I believe Aunt Carol said, well, you can come with us if you want to. Um, and I'm not sure how that played out. But when I heard the story of what happened... I told myself right then and there, I said, okay, I know there are ghosts. I fully believe there are ghosts because people sometimes get trapped in between the planes. They don't move on to an upper level where some would call heaven and they get stuck on the earth plane. And this poor woman was stuck on the earth plane. And so I, I made a pact <laughs> with, with the universe, God, whoever I said, okay, I know there's ghosts. I don't ever want to see you. I can hear you. Like, it's okay if I hear you, if you, if you have a message for me, but I don't want to look at you. I said, that would just scare me way too bad. <laughs> I'd be too scared. So I think that sort of started me on a path um, of this knowingness. And we used to also play these past life games, which was taught to us by another aunt, um, by marriage. And she had been to this, um, workshop where, where they were doing past life stuff. And so she taught us how to do this little past life game. So we would gather <laughs> the cousins, aunts, my mom, us girls, we would gather in front of the mirror, turn off the light, put a red light bulb over the mirror and stare, take turns, and one person would sit on the chair, and then everybody would focus on that one person gazing into the mirror, and you'd look at them, and their face would change dramatically. And you could literally see who they were in another lifetime. And so I thought, wow, this is, this is way exciting, you know. So we played that sometimes. Sometimes... Sometimes it's a little spooky, but sometimes it's just really, really cool. I don't do that anymore. But um, who knows? It may have started my journey into hypnosis where I've done a whole bunch of past life regressions with people. And my mother also bought me a book on hypnosis one year in high school because I really wanted to be better at sports. I wasn't naturally good at sports, so she bought a book and she started hypnotizing me to be better at sports. So I think that along with a teacher that we had in high school who would hypnotize us to win singing competitions, and I don't even know if they would allow teachers to do this these days, but he would turn off the light in the big music room that was carpeted and have us all lay on the floor, and he would literally hypnotize us to be better singers. So it just kind of seems like my life up to that point was all about me developing my mental abilities, my psychic skills or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
I started having a series of dreams, um, but about psychic events. But in the beginning, when I was younger, it was more kind of benign things like uh, my much older sister was pregnant and due to have a baby. And they were saying that they thought it was going to be a big baby, like maybe about nine pounds or something. And well, one night I just woke up from a dream and I was keeping dream journals from a very young age. And I wrote down in my journal, the baby was going to be 10 and a half pounds and born something like two fifteen AM. So I found out when I got up for the day that she indeed had the baby that night and it was 10 and a half pounds. And it was at the time that I wrote down in my journal. So I was pretty excited about that, but you know, these kind of dreams kept happening to me. Um, but they grew more, um, how should I put it? the subject matter of the psychic dreams became more intense. Uh, one of the main things I wanted to talk about and share is that my best friend who, um, was killed. Um, I actually had a pretty big dream about her, um, just hours before she was killed and well, I guess I can just start talking about that now. Yeah, um, let's let's hold the the listeners there, and we're going to okay. put a little bookmark there, and we're going to come back to that because this is what we were leading up to. Is you started having dreams that showed you crimes, yes, um, the very detailed information about those crimes, and this is what we were going to lead up to with the interview, but I wanted to take a note of something okay. first is Kristen, you had an unusual childhood <laughs> in that, you know, <laughs> you had a, <clears throat> and it's wonderful that you had people around you who were supportive of this sort of imaginative play that allows you to ease your way into ESP without it having a label without it being something that's weird or woo-woo, if it comes from your mom and you can see it kind of running down through your family, you turn it into a game, then it's much easier to accept. But this brings me around to a question. How many people did you know who could do those kinds of things? Who, like maybe friends, neighbors, what I'm getting at is when you look at your upbringing and what you learned from it, about your own abilities and you compare yourself to other people, where do you see them at with the abilities that we think that everybody has these abilities? It's just whether or not you're willing to accept them within yourself. What have you found about people who maybe don't have these abilities or don't think that they have them? Do you have any opinions mm -hmm. on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I joined the army when I was 17 and I had just graduated from high school and that thrust me into a much, much different type of existence. So for a while I wasn't using a lot of the psychic abilities. I was just very immersed in the military culture, 
But I do recall having a boyfriend at one point and I must have, I must have been using some psychic skills more than I realized. I think it's just kind of my personality because I remember him breaking up with me uh, because his buddies told him, they said, uh, you know, one of these mornings, you're just going to wake up and you're going to be nothing more than a frog on her pillow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kiss the frog, so it turns somebody, into a prince. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were, they were scared of me. And I think somebody called me a witch one time, mm. like, like literally a witch. And I don't know why they were scared of me. I don't remember doing any rituals or I think people just knew me as a person that it's just built into my personality that I will know things. Um, I can't remember specifically why they thought of me as a witch. <laughs> they were afraid that you were going to know their secrets. Yeah, I think so. I do remember the only occasion I can remember practicing anything with a little psychicness to it um was when a friend a male soldier he he wanted to see like he wanted to test my ability i think and he showed me a one of those tiny little pictures like you get in high school he showed me a picture of a friend of his or somebody he knew and he said can you read this picture tell me about this person i said oh i don't know i'll try and I started reading the person and it turns out I'm really, really good at reading pictures of people. I can, I can read a lot of things off of a picture. So I started talking about it and I think that's when they started calling me a witch. <laughs> For lack of better words, they just call you a witch, but right. um, because they're coming up with a label for something that they don't understand. And it's showing that they're maybe disconnected from their own abilities, even though they might be using them all the time. One of the studies right. in, in the studies of this, uh, as a little side note, they showed that people who are on the, um, uh, when they're in infantry and they're the ones that are on the point, like they're the ones that go out ahead to see if the enemy before the rest of the squad comes up. So if anyone's going to get shot, it's going to be the guy who's out there on point. And what they showed mm -hmm. us is that those people developed this extraordinary ability to be able to sense danger coming. So mm -hmm. they're out there in the jungle in Vietnam and, you know, running around and, and they would have this sense of like, we shouldn't go that way. And then they would mm -hmm. turn around later and find out, oh yeah, there was a whole, you know, they had a machine gun nest and a trap right over on the other side of that ridge or whatever. But the guy who was on point said, no, we need to go this other direction so there are actually people yeah. who are in that position when they have to use these abilities, the, uh, they've shown that they're actually using it all the time. They may not, they may call it something like hunch or intuition, but they're actually mm -hmm. gaining information through this extrasensory sort of means. So that makes what, total sense. Did you do, so you found that the people really are not accepting of this. And that if um, they run some across someone, aren't. okay. And the ones who, uh, the ones who aren't tend to dismiss it and even be afraid of people who yeah. are, are I'll give you an zone. example. Um, 
I'll give you an example. Um, in my last romantic relationship, um, which um, was uh, several years ago, he was very afraid of anything psychic. Although I do believe that he himself was quite intuitive. And at one point early on in our relationship, he wanted to take me on a trip to Mexico. Just to have, let's go to see Mexico, have a good time. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And I kept having these dreams though, like that month I kept having dreams, even I think before he said he wanted to take me to Mexico. I, in my dreams, I kept having a, rec it was, I think I had the dream four or five times that I was being rounded up with a couple handfuls of other people and we were going to be shot with, I think they were like rifles or those types of guns and we were all going to die. And I was kind of, you know, first, when I have those kinds of dreams, I'll say this, I always take it as a metaphor. Okay. You know, like, is there something that needs to die off in me or for example, something like that, or have I been shooting off my mouth? Why is that why guns are in my dream? But it just seems so, um, vivid. Like, I don't know if I could say that psychic dreams have a different feeling. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't because all my dreams are just very, very realistic. Well, I told a couple of my friends, I said, I keep dreaming that I'm in a group and I'm going to be shot. And, and finally I'm like, why do you think I dream that? And somebody said, you know, you have all these psychic dreams. You might, it's, it's possible you might get shot. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope not. So we find ourselves getting off our plane in Mexico and I had kind of put the dreams aside about that. And we're, we're in a taxi cab coming up to our um, resort. It's, it's evening and there's this bright sign lit up that says, come to the Electrolyte Music Festival. It's gonna be all week long. You know, it had the dates on there and we were gonna be there for about a week. So every night they they would move this um, festival to a different little little town around the resort. But as we saw the sign, my partner he goes, "We should go to that. That sounds fun." And I didn't even hesitate. Something immediately came out of my mouth was, "No way. That is way too dangerous." And I'm thinking, why did, I, why did I even say that, you know? But I said it, and he thought I was ridiculous. And he was a total non-believer in all, everything psychic, by the way. But we get settled into our resort, and, you know, we're just doing the Mexico thing for a few days. And it gets to be, like, almost the, our last night. And he, he kept begging me, like, in the evenings, please, let's go to the festival. And... Once I finally told him once, I said, well, why don't you just go? It sounds like you want to go really bad. I don't feel good about it. Why don't you go? And he would not go without me. So we didn't go. And, you know, our vacation ended. And at home, I turned on the news and 15 Americans were shot in a small group there at the Electrolyte Festival thing. And... <laughs> One of them was from Spokane, where, which was where we were from, too. And 
I said, see, do you believe me now? And he was like, no, I don't, I don't, I still don't believe it. And, you know, that's kind of beside the point. Some people still are not, I don't know why some people don't believe it, even if it's right under their nose. I think it scares people sometimes that we can actually, I don't know if I want to use the word powerful, but be powerful enough to have these kinds of vision, visions and dreams and see things that are not yet happening that will happen. But I feel like by my remembering that dream that I saved my life probably. And his, yeah. And we know from interviewing other guests on this program that we've so many dreams that have accurately showed what was coming up in the future. And, you know, we don't have the people around the talk with who ignored those dreams that warned them of something. And then they blunder into the festival despite their feeling of, you know, that they shouldn't be there. And, you know, then they're the ones who you hear about on the news. Uh, before we went on the air, we were talking about that case in California in the 70s where there was a, a woman who was on a dating show and right. she got she hooked got- up with this, you know, like she's supposed to go out with this guy who was the contestant and he was charming and good looking and mm-hmm. a serial killer. And she, yep. you know, they didn't know it at the time, of course, but she had this feeling. She said they set the date and that it was coming around to the time they were supposed to go out. And she's like, she just had the worst feeling about it. She listened to that feeling. She broke the date and didn't have any more contact with the guy. And then she saw him in the news sometime later where he was, you know, he was he was murdering women. He was a serial killer. So she might have ended up in the same place. I know someone who had a dream where he uh he was involved in in dealing drugs with some friends of his. And he uh, they had a deal coming up where they were supposed to drive out to this remote location to make a big deal. And he had a dream that told him in no uncertain terms, this is the end of the line. And um, he, um, he, though, he said that he, he, was, he saw himself in the dream coming up to this house. And it's almost like, uh, you know, the Bates Motel. You see the creepy house and mm. you just have a feeling that something really bad is inside. And he saw him with his saw himself with his friends, and you know, entering into that house and never coming back. So he didn't know exactly where the deal was supposed to go down. It was one of his buddies who had, had arranged everything, but he backed out of it. And they, he said, they were cajoling. Come on, man, what kind of wimp are you? Mm-hmm. You don't believe in that crap, you know? You know, there's no such thing as as psychic and ESP. That's all a bunch of baloney. He said his friends went off and did the deal and he never saw him again. And because wow. they, and no one ever saw him again because they went to this remote, he just knew it was in some remote location. And um, he said that he knew that if he would have gone with him, he would have been, you know, he would have, he would have never come back too. So we were also talking before we got on the air about how people might be avoiding their own 
personal knowledge that this stuff is true because there's an it's not just the atmosphere of fear that surrounded it and derision from some ends. There are these uber skeptics who, no matter how many cases we can bring in front of them and how much evidence we can present to say, this this is real, they'll always be on the other side of the fence right. and discount it. And we think it may be because there was such a long history of people. I mean, the uh, the aversion, the fear of this, the dread even, was programmed into us because we went through the Inquisition where people who had these unusual abilities were tied to right. a stake and burned. You know, the 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 trauma yep. of being burned alive just, you know, and it, it's repeating thousands yeah. of times, tens of thousands. There's estimates that maybe up to a million people died in the Inquisition, although the, oh, the, yeah. you know, you know, it, it's probably closer to the tens of thousands. But, you know, no matter you know, even one person dying in such a way, it's creating a trauma that carries through our collective consciousness and will make us averse right. to this. So we not only have that, but we also have the sort of materialist paradigm that says that this stuff can't exist. They, You can show all the evidence that you want that it does exist, and that evidence is out there gathered under controlled scientific means with very high level people who've you know who've done the you know the research into this you'll always have people who say that it doesn't exist and so there's a resistance to it and so Kristen would you say that maybe the first thing that people need to do if they want to discover this for themselves is get over their own resistance and disbelief well i guess it depends on the person because I think that people that have been raised in certain religions really, really have a hard time overcoming their early programming. I've heard that over and over and over again. I mean, I do, I do feel I had an advantage by how I was raised, definitely. Um, it's kind of like training. You know, I was training to be psychic. Um, but everybody doesn't have that. But there are so many ways that people can begin to um, hone their psychic abilities. And it might start with reading books about little techniques you can do. There's different books out there and maybe joining a group of beginners. Um, I know that Facebook has different pages, um, different groups where you can probably just go, go to the search bar on Facebook and look up um, psychic development groups. And there are groups where you can join other people and you're all beginners. And the person who's running the group will put up photos and say, oh, this is, this is so-and-so. Um, let's do a reading on so-and-so. And so people will put in the words that they're getting and the feelings that they're getting regarding that image and things like that. So I would say that might be a safe place to kind of start to get your spread your psychic wings a little bit and don't be hard on yourself if you've not used to doing that because one th one of the things that I've noticed over the years I've done a lot of different trainings just because I love training so much um it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there that way because you could be totally wrong but it's okay if you're wrong you just keep trying you have to allow for the, you let go of 
what you want as a result. You go through the process, but the right. result so, is going to, there's something else that's going to take care of it. The The result is up to a larger something. I wouldn't say power, but it's whatever it is, it's the one that's going to make things happen. But you go through the process of what you've been, what you've learned to do to make it happen, to make it likely to happen, then you let go. I was watching on um, Jeffrey Mishlove's um, uh, YouTube channel, uh, New Thinking Aloud, A-L-L-O-W-E-D. He did a live stream with a guy named um, Sean McNamara, who um, hosts PK parties, spoon bending parties. He teaches people how to do it. And while they were live, Sean, the, he had everybody holding their utensil, it's knives, forks, spoons, whatever. And he just said, all right. And he taught people how to do it, bringing down this ball of energy into the top of the head and then down through your arms and then into the spoon. And you feel it go and the energy go into the spoon. And then he said, at that point, you just let go. He said, this is where most people get stuck is, is that they're mm-hmm. looking at that spoon thinking that they're going to you know, make it bend with the power of their mind. And he said, no, at this point, you've got to just let go and let it happen. And then he completely twisted his spoon around in a 360. And oh my gosh. Like, and it wasn't physical. Like you have to, you, you have to actually use a little bit of force. But to be able to bend a spoon like that, you would have you would see somebody like really having to use a lot of force and contorting the thing. And um, he wasn't doing that. He just sort of lightly started, you know, bending the thing, and you just watch it go whoosh in a complete three sixty. And you go, wow, you wow. know, like I was my, I, my spoon didn't bend for me, um, and the host Jeff Mishlove, his spoon didn't bend. But on his website, he was asking people who were watching the live stream to send in pictures if it worked for them. And over the next 10 minutes, they must have gotten 20 pictures of people who were, you know, and it wasn't just spoons. It was forks. You could see them twisted up and like curly, look like a curly fry, the tines of the fork, you know? So it's something, if, if people do try this, you have to let go of what you think the expected result is going to be and just allow yourself to go through the process. And we found this to be true of other powers of dreaming, like dream incubation. You can ask for like, you have a question or something for your dreams and you go to bed with that question on your mind and you may or may not have an answer in the morning. You may, the answer you get may be what's blocking you. The dream will say, you know, well, maybe there's something going on here that is keeping you from being able to receive the answer. Maybe you're afraid of that answer. Maybe you don't think this is possible. Maybe you've got too much stress and anxiety going on in your life. So whatever it is, the dream can point out what the holdup is, what the block is, or in other cases, it actually delivers you a crystal clear answer, exactly what you were asking for. But you have to let go of what you think the result is going to be. You just do the process and then allow, well, there was a, there's a saying from the Edgar Casey Foundation, um, the people at the Association of Research and, of, and Enlightenment, and this is based on the teachings of the psychic Edgar Casey. is he says basically, let go and let God give the increase. 
and that the whatever it is that you've be, you put yourself into the right state of mind, really the right state of being, the right state of feeling, and then these things can happen. But you're just allowing it to come to you rather than trying to use some kind of power of the will or power of the mind to make it happen. Ego. Or yeah. ego. You, you have to let go of your ego because you might look like a total fool, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that the guy who you were dating uh, and you went to Mexico and you saw that news report, you know, he's saying, oh, well, you know, uh, he's trying to write it off, but you know, somewhere deep inside right, of himself. Right. And yeah. he's, he still didn't believe me. And and after that, I don't even know why I was trying to prove myself. I, I don't think I would do that again. Like I just, we, we just weren't right for each other, but I remember, um, he said, well, I still don't believe you're psychic. And he goes, I said, okay, well that's okay, I guess. And he says, well, make a prediction. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well that's not really how it works, but I'll try. And, um, I predict that you're sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and so I just made the first thing that came into my mind. I said, there's going to be a very big explosion in a country that starts with the letter E on Thanksgiving weekend and thousands of people are going to get wounded or killed. And, and so we waited and like the week passed and it happened. There was some kind of big thing in Egypt. I think it was, and some kind of explosion and a lot of people died. And he said, well, I still don't believe you. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you know, that's kind of a generic thing cause there's explosions going off all the time. And, but he finally believed me after this one thing happened, we had split up, and, but we were still friends and he, he was seeing someone new, more kind of a platonic thing, I think, but I was going through these surgeries and he was, he would come over to my apartment and help me out because I was having these major surgeries at the time. And I, I called him up and I said, do you think you can come over today to like help me out with this or that? And he said, no, I'm busy. And I immediately in my mind, I saw him hiking with this new woman and I saw where they were going to go hiking. And I said, oh, we'll have a nice time hiking with so-and-so at Micah Flats today. And he goes, you must have talked to my roommate. And I said, no, I didn't talk to your roommate. And so <laughs> he went to his roommate that I was friends with. It was a lady. And um, she said, you scared him so bad. I'm like, why? What did I do? She said, well, he came to me after your phone call. And he said, did you talk to Kristen today? And she goes, no. And he said, well, how did she know I was going to take my friend hiking at Micah Flats and be hiking today? And she goes, because she's psychic. <laughs> so just that one little thing, it finally clicked for him, which, you know, it didn't matter to me because we were not together. But apparently he was pretty rattled after that. <laughs> I can see why. But, you know, not only do people not want to know that this stuff is real and it exists, there are some people who will actively suppress it in themselves. 
they've shown it in the research um, into psychic um, abilities, psychic functioning. And instead of calling it a power or ability, the people who study this tend to call it psi functioning because they believe that it is a natural um, quality and not just of the mind, but the entire like nervous system. And they think that it's largely unconscious, but there are people who, because they don't want to know that they can do this too, they will actually actively suppress it in themselves. Mm -hmm. And when they come into laboratories and they get tested, they tend to have worse than um, average outcomes or results of their, of their, of their psi testing. And there's a, it's called (laughs) psi missing in the study of it. It's called psi missing. And there's actually a whole body of thought that says that they're, they're actually using their psi functioning to suppress results because they can compare over thousands and thousands of trials. They can say, okay, you should be able to guess if you've got five cards and in this five types of cards and you guess which card, if you just look at average 20, you should be able to get it right 20% of the time just by the odds, but they'll have Mm -hmm. people who will score like half that. And what they've shown is, is that there is Mm -hmm. a sort of hostility in their personalities towards the whole idea of psychic functioning. And they will actually do worse than average than expectation because they're suppressing it within themselves. So you'll see people who are very hostile towards this subject when it comes up. And I've, I've seen this come Mm -hmm. up in conversations where people react to it very like negatively. And you can, you can feel the sort of the energy field off of them where you can be like, yeah, you know, they're going to make sure that this stuff doesn't happen around them because they're actually afraid of it. Um, so I found that to be interesting that, you know, the guy you dated gave you an example of somebody who didn't want to know. Exactly. And, you know, thinking, thinking more on that, um, personality type, is he he was a control freak and i'm guessing maybe these people that you mentioned in the studies maybe they are too because i think that archetype of the control freak i mean it's probably not a real term but they don't want to think that there are things outside of their control if that makes sense like there's more to the world yeah, I not and it's yes, that in the it, there it's beyond their control because it's largely unconscious functioning. I mean, when you right, had right. when you had this stuff pop into your mind, you know, like you knew that he was going to be at the that the flats, you, you know, that just popped into your mind. You weren't really trying to pull up right. this information, it was just there. And I imagine Exactly, that, it just flashed. Yeah, it just flashed. So it's kind of scary for people who realize that there's something functioning from within them that they're not in control of. And that kind of brings us back to dreaming because the dreams come from the unconscious side of the mind. And it's an interaction that you have with the unconscious that's producing the dream content. But the unconscious is really the one that's, you know, kind of taking the lead in that process. And the unconscious is outside by definition, it's outside of your conscious awareness and control. So you'll have people who are afraid of their dreams for the same general reason, because it's something that they can't control. 
and they think that they should be able to control everything, but they don't know that the conscious side of their mind is actually a very small part of the mind. The unconscious is much faster. It's 95% of the more of the total mind is unconscious. Right. And you and you and I might be excited by that thought, but there are many people who it's just a terrifying thought for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. And I I want to have a relationship with that side of me and get to know it because I've learned what it can exactly. do for me. And that it's there to help me. It's not, you know, it the way that it speaks can be very pointed at times. If especially if I'm doing something in my waking life where I'm resistant or I've got a bad habit or I'm in a, a mental space that's maybe not the healthiest, my unconscious will go there. It's going to point to that spot first. If I'm wounded in some way, scared, oh yeah, it's going to look right there, but it's doing it to help me. And that I've learned to accept that and to embrace it. So if it does have a message for me that's difficult to accept, I've, I can accept it because I realize with it, it's, it's for my own good in the end. But I can right. see that there are the, the type of personality, you know, like you, you put the, the, the controlling type as one of them who would be very afraid of this because the psi functioning by definition means that it's mostly outside of your conscious control. And that's very yeah. scary for some people. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to like get him to open up a little bit and he was having trouble at work. He, he didn't generally get along with all types of people. Um, I'm not really sure why, um, but he was especially having trouble always in the workplace. And I suggested to him once that he might, on his way to work, visualize white light in the office before he arrives and just kind of bathe it in white light. And so he said, yeah, he would try it. And he tried that for a few days in a row and he loved it. And he said that he was getting along with people better and his boss was nicer, but then he said he had to stop. And I said, why, why, why do you have to stop? And he said, that's all I, I'm just, I'm lost in the white light. I'm just like, I'm, I can see it and I can feel it. And I don't know if I like it. <laughs> kind of a strange experiment, you know? It breaks down the barriers. Mm -hmm. Do you think that could be why? Because when you get into it, when you kind of open yourself to this energy, then it wants to break down the ego barriers and the sense of, of duality of I am my own distinct being and I am in 100% control of myself and my life. And there's anything that's from outside, I can keep it out. And we tend to put up these walls but then you get someone like him who starts to feel those walls coming down. And what happens, Kristen? Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, speaking of, this is going to provide a segue because you've, we started talking earlier about some of the dreams that you had that led you into some pretty, you know, scary topics. And you had to be ready for this because what you started seeing in your dreams and the other types of experiences, visionary experiences where, I mean, we're talking about people who were murdered and yeah. 
not just once did you have this kind of experience. You had several of them. So yes, this is a good time. We've established that for one, this happens. Two, you had a lot of training and experience that prepared you for what was coming next. Right. And then you, yeah, why don't you lead us into that? Okay. Well, I might mention that about this time that I'm going to start talking about here was the same time where I, I was studying to be a psychic uh, medium with Lisa Williams, who used to have a TV show called Life Among the Dead. And I, I loved that show. And I thought, wow, she's amazing. If I could just work with her someday, if she ever teaches students, I would love to take a course with her. Well, I did find just playing around on the internet one day that she was actually teaching classes. So I signed up right away for classes. And somehow I accidentally signed up for advanced mediumship. <laughs> but I was accepted for the program. And we did our classes. Um, a lot of them were long distance. They were like a live classroom situation. And we had a ton of homework that we did working with the deceased. Um, she would provide photos and then we were supposed to contact these people and have communications. Some of them were family members of hers who agreed to help people learn how to do this skill from the outside. So we didn't know that at the time. We had no idea like who they were but it was pretty exciting. It was very exciting work. Um, and then we did one three day intensive with her, um, in California, which was awesome. I just absolutely loved it. Um, but around that time, my very best friend, she, she saw what I was doing and she was also doing psychic work, um, for part of her living to make part of her living. She was very good and she decided she wanted to take psychic mediumship work too. So she also signed up for the course and was doing her studies in that. And, uh, I had just started, just started seeing clients, um, kind of getting my feet wet and like, okay, can I really do this? You know, cause I, I'm kind of a perfectionist. So when I give a reading or try to make contact with somebody, I really, I want to be the real deal. I, I don't want to be one of these, you know, fake people that are like just trying to steal money from people. Cause I have seen those types that say, Oh, I'm a psychic and they're really not. But so I, I was very careful about, you know, always being a lot of it, having a lot of integrity with how I do my work and everything. So she was very excited. So she did it too. And we would talk, we were very close, um, particularly like sisters. And we would talk on the phone every single day. And sometimes we would talk for hours and, um, we would, I call it playing psychic games on the phone. Um, cause at one point we lived in two different States and, um, we would talk on the phone and, she would ask me a psychic question and I would answer what I thought and, um, you know, vice versa. And, um, well, it got to be around the holidays. And first I'd like to make a disclaimer that I am not accusing anyone of murder in this particular case. Um, 
but I just want to say that up front and I'm trying not to mention any names, but, uh, so we were talking on the phone and I had had a very vivid dream about her. And so I'll just, I'll just start with the dream. I'll go into the dream and explain the dream. And then, um, I'll relate our phone conversation when I'm telling her the dream. Good. That sounds good. So, yeah. So, um, I had been just, you know, really, as I say, I've been starting to do the psychic mediumship work and had just done a pretty intense one regarding a, a friend, an acquaintance, her, her best friend was found dead on a tropical island in a, a mysterious circumstances. And so I was hired to, um, and I do have permission to share, so I'm gonna share a little bit about that. I was hired to kind of look into how this woman ended up dead. Like who did this? Um, Cause there just wasn't enough information. And I was so naive to like, just opening myself up, I think because of all my years of not being afraid and being trained by my family and everything, that I didn't realize that sometimes scary things can happen when you open yourself wide open. Um, and I didn't really put any precautions in place or anything. And I really wanted to find out because my client's um, goal was to find out who did this to her best friend. So I just, I, I think I, literally said out loud okay universe show me who killed this woman show me show me who did this how did she die because nobody knew it was very mysterious um so i was taking a bunch of notes i was i was in full communication with the woman who seemed to be absolutely okay on the other side by the way she had no no bad feelings about being on the other side and she came I heard her walking all through my house in high heeled shoes. And I I don't usually see them like like you would see a ghost or like a phys any kind of form. I usually just have a mental image that's very strong. And I could see and hear that she was wearing red spiked heeled shoes, walking all over the hardwood floors, and I'm like, okay, she's here. So I start taking tons of notes and she's just really a good communicator. And by the way, people that are really good communicators in life are also usually the best communicators on the other side. So it's always a pleasure to like do business with the ones that are going to tell you things, you know. So I'm taking all these notes and um, she's saying she's fine and she's telling me things to tell to her friend. and She's singing songs. She's really happy. She's fine. But interestingly enough like after i had that communication i went to bed for the night and i was saying you know show me who did this because because the the friend that came through she was not concerned about who did it she was fine she was like you know i'm not worried it's okay but i drifted off into sleep and was definitely sound asleep and i was dreaming that there was this hawk-faced dark-haired little guy driving a beat up junker old white car all dented up and everything and he had just stopped at a mailbox and he was reaching towards the mailbox in the dream here where I see 
energy waves in a circular pattern, kind of like ripples on a water. And they're like moving outward, almost something you might see in a sci-fi effect or something. And as he's reaching, I wake immediately I wake up from my dream. And he was in my face, just his face. It was like floating and right in front of my face, probably three or four inches from my face. And in a very guttural voice, he goes, Hey! <laughs> Steven <laughs> sounds creepy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Talk about terror. I felt holy terror. And then he disappeared. And I was like, oh my God, that's that's who killed her. You know, so I did share that with my client that I had this experience and this is who this guy looked like and everything. And she didn't recognize the guy, but I fully believe it was a foreigner on that Island. And it was just a chance kind of killing thing. But yeah, that was terrifying. And I did learn a good lesson, which is you can't just say, show me universe, you know, who did this because it can come in pretty scary, you know, if you're wide open and I was kind of naive, I think, because I was a beginner a little bit. And I think, you know, I hope that that would never happen to me again. Um, and right around this time frame is when I had been talking to my best friend and she was talking about her husband who was being a real jerk to her. And he was very um, verbally abusive. And I told her one day, you know, he's going to hit you. He, he will elevate and he will hit you. Oh no, he will never hit me. You know, that's not going to happen. He was a great big guy and she was a tiny little thing. Um, well, one day he said to her, according to what she texted to me, it was coming up close to Thanksgiving time and she would get real, they get into awful knockdown tra- drag out, just verbal fights and he just told her something that was creepy. He said, um, women that don't know how to shut their mouths end up permanently silenced. And she texted me that. And I'm like, whoa, that does not sound good. And I, I knew him. I, I didn't like him at all. I, I thought he was not a good person. But a few days passed, several days passed. And I had that dream. I had a dream, uh, which I'll share here now. Um, I'm in a lake with my best friend, this, the same best friend and another woman that is someone I don't recognize. And it's a, it looks like a tropical place. It's very, very green. And, um, we're in that we're in this lake that's glowing, like something you would see like out of a movie that would depict almost like do you remember that old movie on Golden Pond where it's all gold and kind of sunshiny? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like that. Peter Fonda. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. So we're standing there in the water and off to the side, I see those red shoes from the dead girl from that other uh, mediumship session I had done. There were the red shoes kicked off by the water. And, um, 
I'm like, huh. So I see the dream isn't real long. So basically I see a coffee bar in the middle of the lake there towards the shore. Um, something like you might see at a hotel or something. So I see this coffee bar with coffee and tea and these paper cups. And um, I take a cup and then it's kind of like I spontaneously hear a news report at the same time that I have the cup in my hand. And then I turn to my friends in the water and I say, well, I heard a news report that these cups are poison and you shouldn't drink from them. And so then I'm just standing next to these two women in the water without, without the cup. And we're about waist deep maybe. And there's the one woman, I don't know, she's, she's wearing this tube top and her skin is like all glittery, like has real fine, like kind of like fairy dust on her skin. It's really beautiful. And the sun is glimmering off of it. And there's a tiny white fluffy feather on her right shoulder. And I'm standing in the middle of these two women. And by the way, I don't really know what that other woman looked like um, that had the red shoes. Maybe it was her. I, I don't remember. But I look to her and I pick, I pluck the little tiny white feather off her shoulder. And I said, do you believe in angels? And she looked at me and she nodded. Oh, yeah. I said, well, this is proof that angels are nearby. And that was the end of my dream. And I woke up and, of course, I write it down. I always, almost always write down my dreams, especially really special ones. And I call my friend the next day and I'm like, you got to hear this dream I had. You were in it. She's like, okay. So I'm telling her the dream. And she goes, wow, what do you think it means? And, and at first it didn't dawn on me, you know, I, I just said, I don't know. I don't know that it, it just, there's something about it. I don't know. And all of a sudden it just clicked in my head and I'm like, he's going to kill you. I said to her on the phone, he is going to kill you. He's going to kill you. And she just very calmly, she goes, well, is it going to be a fit of rage or premeditated? Or I said, you won't even know what hit you. You will just be gone. You won't even know what hit you. And she's like, wow. You know, <laughs> it just, and I ended up telling her, I said, um, please, please write a note or a letter hand it in to a coworker or someone you trust in an envelope and say, open this if I am found dead. And um, write in there that if you're found dead, he did it. She said, I promise I will, I will do that. I'll get right on it this week and I'm going to do it. And I'm like, good. She said, yeah, I know. There's a, there's a lady at work. I'm going to give it to her. I said, okay, great, great. So she said, well, I'm really tired. I'm going to go to bed and you know, so we said goodnight and that was the last time we ever spoke because early in the morning, the phone rang, it was about 7 a.m. or so, or quarter to seven, 
And I went, it was very unusual for anybody to call me that early. And I picked it up and it was him. It was her common law partner. And the minute I heard his voice, I thought, oh my God, he killed her. So I started shaking to get that rush of adrenaline right away before I even knew what it was about. Because <clears throat> he never calls me. <clears throat> so I grabbed a notebook and I grabbed a pen and I thought, I'm going to write down every single word he says. And so I did that and I tried to remain calm. And he's like, yeah, I'm just giving you a courtesy call. I found her dead on the kitchen floor, blue, this morning. She was just dead. She was just laying there. And I just took a bunch of notes, every, everything he said. And, and I said, I want to talk to her children. Because I, don't, I, I, I didn't know her children. They were all adults. But I wanted to tell them that I suspected him. And he said, well... I'm not going to give you their phone number, but I will ask them to call you. If, and if they want to, they will. And I said, all right. And we said goodbye. And I still didn't believe it that she was gone just hours after we hung up. Um, so Barbara was around me big time. She was standing right by me. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, oh, my God. I, you just go into this weird shock. Like, I've never known anybody that was murdered before that. So I just went in this really big shock and I just, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I call the police station and they say, I say, is it true that she's been killed? And, and they say, um, well, let me check the reports. And they say, well, we don't see that on the report. And I'm like, are you sure that, no, we don't see that. So I still felt like something was badly wrong. And um, I just couldn't stop shaking. I was like ice cold and she was right next to me. And my daughter was living with me at the time as an adult. And, and uh, my friend was like saying, I'm standing right here, Kristen. I'm right by you. I'm right here. I'm right here. She was like all like trying to like make sure that she, I was hearing her. And I just, I thought I was imagining. I was so much in shock that I really thought I was imagining. Um, but I did make another a second call after about an hour and they said, yeah, that she was deceased. Um, and I, I spoke with the lead detective because my friend was saying, I want you to tell them everything you know. Don't let, she said, I want that bastard nailed to the wall. <laughs> that's, that's what she told me. And I was like, oh, she cursed like a sailor too. And she goes, and she, she was like, is it okay to cuss on here? Yeah. She goes, that motherfucker, 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 motherfucker fucking killed me. She was furious because she had just bought her first home that she owned all by herself. And she was working seven days a week for a couple of years to make the money to buy that home. She hadn't even finished unpacking her boxes yet. So I felt horrible about that and everything um and she kept kind of trying to communicate with me all that 
while and I wrote a super long statement for the police because we were states apart. They weren't going to like interview me in person. And I just, I, I was trying to figure out like, you know, how did you do it? And the detective said there were no marks on her body, but she was in the medical examiner's room, you know, where they do that. So I called the medical examiner, which I didn't know. You can actually do that just as a citizen. And I told them this was murder. I, I fully believe this was murder. And, you know, they just, they just couldn't find out, you know, how he did it or if, if he did it, I am not, I, nobody knows for sure. They did three autopsies. Two were inconclusive. She was checked for three different poisons and those particular ones that she was checked for were negative. Um, but I will say right now, um, I did have another dream cause I really wanted to know how he did it. Um, if he did do it and I was dreaming that I was in a hospital and I was in a bathroom stall and I looked down on the floor and by my feet, there was a large empty syringe and there was spilled red blood sugar, no, uh, not blood sugar, sugar crystals like you put on Christmas cookies. It was spilled on the floor next to the syringe. So I kind of deduced from that that you know, maybe he shot her up with sugar, but I didn't know, like my sister, who's a nurse, she told me, yeah, you can actually kill somebody by injecting them with sugar. Um, so I called back the medical examiner and I said, I think she was injected with something in her hairline. You know, she had really long, thick hair down to her butt. And, but they just, they just really couldn't prove it. And over time, they eventually ended up saying in the end that, it's probable heart failure is what they put on the final death certificate. So he did get away with that, um, which is really sad. Um, but I did have another dream where she appeared because she was pretty angry. Um, I should say too that when she was first communicating, she scared me like she was making my computer make really loud noises when I was asleep. <laughs> it would wake me up and scare me. And I told my daughter, I said, Oh my gosh, I hope she finds a way to communicate that doesn't scare me to death. And immediately my cell phone, which was clear across the room, came on and um, Siri comes on and she says, Good evening, Kristen. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Talk about chills. And my, I got, my eyes got really big and my daughter looks at me. She goes, don't look at me. You're the medium. <laughs> you know? but, um, but, you know, after that, I did have another dream and my friend was in the dream and we were together and we were walking on these bluffs above the ocean, kind of on a sandy dirt road thing above the ocean there and she had on a big wide kind of straw hat that you would wear in the summer one of those floppy hats and she had on lipstick and I'm not sure why I'm not sure what the meaning of her having on lipstick in the dream is except for that she was feeling like herself again maybe and she we were just chatting and smiling and talking and just it was a beautiful sunny day and she looked younger. She looked healthier and younger, like probably about 30-ish. And 
she was uh, around 50 at the time of her death, but she just seemed really happy. She wasn't mad anymore. And also in that same time frame, she appeared at my bedside, which really shocked me. I was waking up and it was early dawn and the room hat was kind of a twilight color. Just waking up and I look over to my left side near the head of my bed and there she is. She's standing there and she looks like she's made out of kind of sepia tones. Not, not really black and white, but not really color either. And she didn't look me right in the face because I think she was just trying to not scare me. <laughs> and it was like a side view. And she had like the biggest Cheshire cat grin on her face because she knew that I could see her and she was able to materialize right in front of me because we had both done the mediumship stuff. So I think it was really cool for her to do that. And I you, felt really good did. about that. You had asked for, you know, when you said, okay, I, I know that you're there when you were younger, you said, just don't let me see you because that'll scare yeah. me too much. So right. you gradually, well, first with the guy, the pockmark face guy, you mm -hmm. know, he, he definitely was willing to push through your boundaries. Oh, um, yeah. But I think by he then you were, <laughs> by then you were a little more open to it, but your friend didn't give you the full frontal. She no. allowed you to sort of see her in a way without kind of easing you into it. Yeah. And I wanted to make a note, you know, in the dream, you're there by the coffee, you're in a lake and you said that there was a coffee bar. And then you, you had the second, you know, uh, dream where you saw the syringe with the sugar. So when you said that she had been found dead in the morning, my first thought was he did it, you know, he put it in her coffee you know, some kind of a, Maybe. some kind of a poison or something in the coffee. And sugar is known for being something that can absorb liquid. Like you can use a sugar sugar cube, for example. Um, people who take liquid LSD, you take an mm -hmm. eyedropper and you drop it down onto the sugar cube, and you let the sugar cube dissolve. And it's a way oh, of you yeah, know, that could be. So I'm sitting there thinking that now. Why in the second dream it would be red? kind of like a red crystal um, is, you know, we can only speculate on that. I can't even yeah, think of why. Yeah, it was definitely sugar. So it's, it was something in the sugar in her morning coffee. Were they, Maybe. you said that it was early in the morning, but were they in time zones ahead of yours? Um, no, we were both West Coast time zone, but they did, they did have different schedules because he was a trucker and he would drive at night and get home in the middle of the night sometimes and but I do remember her being an early riser so it's possible uh, you know I hadn't thought of that possibility of there's being something in her coffee that's very possible well and then you're in the in the water with them and you said that the the other person who was there was kind of covered in some kind of shiny, there was something that was on her body, right? It's kind of like really fine glitter dust, like angelic dust or something. I don't know. Huh. Okay. So I'm thinking um, that used to be part of a burial ritual. So as you're describing that scene, 
you know, oh. you're you're in the water with someone who's passed away and they've got the burial, you know, the the dust that's it used to be that there was a burial ritual covering the body with something like that. And mm. you know, then you've got the the feather, the angel feather. And so you have kind of two things that are you know, kind of alluding to the idea of death. And you're in the water oh. with the friend who then later died. Right, right. Well, yeah, totally. And then I, I believe that my friend also kind of in a roundabout way predicted her own death as well because he he was he was new at the trucking job. He it was sort of a newer career for him. And she kept saying she could be kind of like neurotic when she would get a thought in her head. She would like say it over and over again and she would say truckers are killers, truckers are killers. And I'm like, what do you mean? Why do you keep saying that? And she goes, well, you know, they can just, they can just kill you and they can dump your body across the state line. Some, some other state and just keep driving. And I'm like, yeah, I suppose, but why do you keep saying that? And she did, she kept saying that. And like on her Facebook page, so her and I, we would always do these vision boards every January for the new year. And I think it was, it reminds me almost of like a vision board on her Facebook page before she died, because she had a picture of the U-Haul truck moving to the new house on her Facebook. And then she wrote something like some, something to the gist of uh, like, the new year is coming. And then she wrote, she wrote it in like all caps, what's next. And she wrote like a big string of like question marks and exclamation points, which was kind of weird. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why she did that. And I asked her about, and she told me one day on the phone before that, she said, before her death, she said, um, something's really big, something very big's coming in the new year for me. And I said, well, what do you think it is going to be? And she said, I don't know, but it's going to be big, really big. And this happened on December 2nd. So I think some part of her knew, you know, nobody really thinks, oh, my partner's going to kill me. Yeah. And you would, I think for most people that they would try to rationalize it and, and you don't want to, you mentioned something earlier, you don't want to be wrong about something like that. You know, like it, what do, what are you going to do? Start accusing like the precogs and minority report. Are you going to arrest someone before they've committed a crime? You know, like, right. or, and I suppose that if you have enough experience with this stuff that you, once you're sure of something, you, you know, that feeling and you're, you're sure of it, that you could, you know, you could take some kind of action, um, to prevent it from happening. Cause when you, when you see ahead in time like that, it's showing you possibilities. There are very few things that are prophetic in the sense that it's written in stone. She, so she, maybe there was something that she could have done to act on that feeling, but it sounds to me like she was rationalizing it to herself. And here's another thing. You said if she's working seven days a week and she's just gone through this big move, when your life is that busy, you tend to not have time for 
focusing in on those inner messages and voices. I mean, I've had times when I was really busy and I get something that's nagging at me and I'm like, shut up, I'm too busy um, to allow that to come into my life because we can't actively block this information out. You know, I'm too busy right now. Don't bother me with this stuff. Well, you know, guess what? It was a very important message. Now, you know that that what you dreamed about and the sense that you had of her, what happened to her, you know, after the fact that there was something in those dreams that was telling you. You knew, even though the dream didn't tell you directly, there was sort of a, a deeper level. Do you have a sense of how you pulled that information out of the dream content? I don't. It just, I think because she and I had played those little psychic things on the phone so many times before that we had a very special psychic bond between us. And it, I swear it was something speaking through me almost. And I thought she was going to hang up on me. I really did because I was so intense. But it was like she was getting a warning from somebody that was almost speaking through me. I don't know for sure if that's what was happening, but it sure felt like that. Yeah, the channel was open. So you had another dream with her where you were on the coast with her, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she grew up on the California coast. And I think that probably that's kind of like a little piece of her little heaven, you know, her happy place. So tell us about that dream. Oh, we were just, um, we were walking up on this road on a bluff and down below is the ocean and pretty sure it's California. And she had on a beautiful wide brim hat and was just smiling and laughing and really happy, like happier than I've seen her in ages. And she had on really pretty lipstick and a bright color that just looked really beautiful on her. And she looked much younger, like she'd lost 20 years, you know, and we were just together and just a nice camaraderie visiting each other. That was it. Did you have any more dreams with her after that? Because there's a sense of, there's, I, I get a sense of goodbye, like she's moving on. Yeah, no, I didn't. I did not get any more dreams about her. Um, I know that there was a mutual friend we had that did get a, some sort of warning dream from her about something. Um, but I don't remember the details on that. Um, but no, I, I, yeah, that's a good point a goodbye dream yeah I think it was and I think you know she was taking a course on angel angel therapy with Doreen Virtue who used to do that um and she was so excited about doing angel work and working with the angel and the angel messages and everything I just had a very strong feeling that she wanted Somehow, okay, there's a theory that we choose our own deaths and when we die, you know, it's like in our blueprint, which may or may not be true. I'm not, I'm not positive, you know, one way or the other on that. It's possible though. And now I, if she is still on the other side, I think she is doing angel work. And I think that is why in my dream, I saw the angel feather and I said, this is proof that angels are nearby. She was, of course, soon to be an angel. Hmm. So... Yeah, and feathers, um, messages from the unconscious. Uh, feather, the way that it comes to you is light as a feather. Um, and then there's also the old um, Egyptian 
belief that if you're um, you weigh the your soul uh, or the sort of the karma of life against a feather, and if the balance comes out on your side, then it allows you to pass into the afterlife or at least into like a a heavenly oh, realm. That's interesting. But if you if you accumulate weight from life that you're carrying with you and it's heavier than a feather, then there's um, another place where you go to, uh, kind of maybe like a purgatory type of environment. Um, oh, I see. But yeah, I found that uh, interesting. You know, as we were talking about this, I had the name Christy Robinette come to mind. I I um, talked with Christy 10 years ago when I was researching a book on strange dreams because she has helped police investigate crimes because she'll mm-hmm. have dreams and visions about them. And when I looked into Christy's background, how many of these, there have been so many cases that she's been involved in. And the the police actually have verified, at least in some of the cases, that she gave them information that led them to the you know to solve the crime. She was able to like even know things like if there was a person that was missing, she was able to like find where they were buried. Um, wow! And this when I when I looked into it, there have been quite a number of these cases. There yes, was, there have. There's another one known as the Red Barn Murder, and you can Google it. Um, you know, search search online for Red Barn Murder. It was a, a case back in the um, 1800s where there was a um, a woman who disappeared, and she was said to have eloped with her, you know, with her her husband, and they they said they went off and lived in this other town, and so family was like trying to get in touch with her. And he kept like putting them off saying, oh, well, you know, whatever. He kept putting them off. And her mom had this dream, actually several nights of dreaming where she saw that her body was buried in this red barn. And uh, she sent her husband, I, I think it was her step, the woman who was murdered, I think it was her stepfather. And he found her buried in the red barn and it led to the arrest and conviction of the guy who murdered her, her, her husband. And apparently he lured her to the place um, under some kind of uh, pretense that they were going to elope together. He murdered her there and then he skipped town. Have you, have you run across any cases like that that you know of? I could talk a little bit about when I lived on Whidbey Island in Washington. I had a bunch of psychic dreams when I was there that were pretty intense. I think I was very psychic there because, um, because of the water I I've come to learn just through my own like development that water, um, is sort of a magnifier of my psychic abilities and probably for other people too. Um, like if somebody contacted me and said, Hey, I want, want you to make connection with my, uh, grandmother or whatever, who's on the other side. I would say, okay, I set up the appointment and I go, I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to take a bath. They're in there right away. And I believe water is some sort of a magnifier for them to come through. And at first it really bothered me. I'd be like, 
you need to come back 15 minutes later. I'm in the bathtub, you know, <laughs> but after a while, I just kept a note, notebook with me and I'm like, they don't care. They've all had bodies. Everybody knows what we look like when we're naked, you know? So it, it didn't bother me as much. Um, but things started happening to me over there on Whidbey Island. Um, probably the most shocking one was when I had a dream where I was on a carnival ride and um, I was hanging at the top of the carnival ride, hanging upside down and it was stopped. The ride was, was not going. It was like stuck in that stopped position and people were falling out to their death below. And I was, for some reason, I was really calm in the dream and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I can hang in here all day long. It's fine. Um, and I woke up and that was that was basically the whole dream and I woke up and I I'm thinking okay I think it's just about me having some pretty extreme ups and downs right now but my dream is telling me it's okay you're going to be able to hang in there you know it's it's going to be fine um but no it was actually literally something um that unfolded about a week or so later the carnival came to town and my kids were young and I had kind of put the dream aside and kind of forgotten about it because I just, I didn't think it was like a psychic dream, you know? And I, I gather my kids and we get to the carnival and we go up to the stand to buy our book of tickets so that they can ride rides. And the lady said, oh, it's shut down. We're, we're shut today. And I said, why? She said, oh, you're just gonna have to go home and turn on the news. And we turned around and w walked a few steps and I pointed to a ride that it didn't even resemble the ride in my dream. I just pointed to some random ride and I told my kids, I guarantee, I guarantee you someone died on that ride today. And they just kind of looked at me. I mean, they're used to how I am, you know? And so we go home and I turn on the news and it turns out that the maintenance man was doing something. He was tinkering around with the mechanics of the track and somehow the ride got turned on and he was pulled up by his ponytail all the way up to the top of the ride where he was dangling in midair until his hair gave way and he fell and was impaled on a fence below in front of the children in line waiting to get on that ride, which is absolutely horrible. Um, so that happened. <laughs> um, that was pretty amazing. You know, I, I don't, I'm kind of curious, you know, I don't know how my kids really feel about my psychic abilities, but I know that they listen. They listen to me really well. And because I told my daughter one time when she was about 14, um, I said, you know, she was getting ready to go on a trip to visit cousins across the country. And I said, you know, whatever you do, don't get into the car with your aunt so-and-so's friend, because if you get in that car, you're gonna be molested. And she looked at me and I said, you know, it could just be a dream, but she said, okay, mom, I'll be careful. Well, she came back a few weeks later and she told me that it almost happened because 
She went to work with her aunt, and her aunt ended up having to work really late in the restaurant. And she told my daughter, um, oh, I have to work really late, but my friend here, this guy over here, he's going to give you a ride home. And my daughter looked at her and she said, that's okay, I'll wait. <laughs> and she just sat there and read her book, and she told me what happened when she got home. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, yeah. what if I... I wouldn't have had that dream. That dream saved my daughter. Unless you go forward with something, with a dream that has a bad outcome, unless you go forward with it and learn after the fact that it was you know, precognitive, it was showing the future. Um, but then, but then you have cases where like the woman who had the, um, the feeling that she shouldn't go out with the guy and it turned out that he was a serial killer or the guy who knew not to go out on the drug deal and his friends never re were never heard from again. And he could have been with them. You know, it makes you wonder how many people have ignored those things. And then, you know, they're not, they're not around to tell us that, oh yeah, you know, should have listened to mom, <laughs> you know, like. I, I re yeah, and I recommend for people to keep a diary and write down things that could happen in real life. Like, yeah, you could fall off of a carnival ride and, and die. So, so first look at it as a metaphor and also look at it as this could be a warning because that's always how I look at it. Um, and speaking of dates, uh, a psychic dreams, I think saved my hide once about a date. Um, I was doing those dating apps. Um, I don't think I would ever do those again cause they just don't work. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there was, there was a guy that, um, was very interested in meeting with me and we had talked on the phone and exchanged some messages and, oh, he wanted to take me out to the best steak restaurant. It was just slightly outside of town but not too far away but it's a very expensive restaurant it was a restaurant that i think i'd only been to once but people would go there for special anniversaries and things like that but he wanted to take me there for steak dinner and it just he said oh he'd been he's so lonely he hadn't been on a date or hadn't been even dated a woman in like seven years and blah 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 and i just I don't know. I, I always listen and observe. And I, I, t I literally take notes, everything they tell me on the phone. I t literally take notes to, to uh -huh. kind of suss it out. And <laughs> um, so little do they know, but I started, I went to, to bed that night and I think it was the next day was supposed to be our date for this steak dinner. And I had a dream, very vivid, where my grandmother... <laughs> so first I'll set the scene that it was short, but I'm seeing the outside of the house that I was living in at the time and it's shadowy and dark. It's like maybe early evening or something like that. And there's a guy and he's looking like he's up to no good. And he's kind of like trying to like get into the garage and he just looks like he's looking for something to steal and 
in this dream, the neighbor across the street is waving me down. And that guy that was my neighbor, he was a ex, he was a former sheriff, um, which makes it even more <laughs> alarming because here's the sheriff waving me down, like trying to get my attention to this guy that's trying to break into my house. And I hear my grandmother's voice in my dream. And she says a very simple message. She says, watch out for that dog next door. And I woke up and I'm like, oh, that is not good. So I downloaded a background app checker and I looked up this guy because he volunteered his last name to me and everything. Um, he was a felon. He had several felonies um, and some other Oh, oh, I was able to find his Facebook account and he was in a relationship. So not only was he a felon, but he was with, with someone. <laughs> so I, uh, huh. yeah. And I called him, I called him up on the phone and I said, you know, I changed my mind. I'm not going to be meeting you for a date, you know, but I wish you well. And well, why'd you change your mind? I'm like, well, because you're a felon. <laughs> you're a felon, and I looked your background. I looked at your background, and and you're all you're also in a relationship. So I, yeah, we're not going to go on a date. And he said, okay, I understand. And 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 I was kind of scared, but he said he understood, and I treated him with a lot of respect, you know. But that was the end of that. <laughs> Well, was this the same grandma that you had the introduction? You know, you said that you had a grandma who was. Yeah. Yeah. She's the one who, yeah, she's kind of, she was pretty psychic. And I actually didn't find out that she was psychic until I was well into my adulthood. Um, I'm not sure why it wasn't really talked about or anything. I mean, it wasn't like a secret, but um she was a tiny little thing. She was four foot 10 with sparkly blue eyes and kind of auburn hair, just a fiery person out, just a sweet personality, but kind of spunky, you know, it's just a sweet lady. And, um, she used to be able to go to those, I don't know if it was a seance or what, but she would tilt the tables, you know, where you, I've never tried it, but back in the Victorian era, they would rest their little, their fingers or a couple fingers on the corners of the card table and the, they would, they called it table tilting. They would tilt up. Um, so I would have loved to have seen her do that. Literature is full of these, uh, the case studies in this, the, these experiments were done like it, this was a parlor game and this is long before we had things electronically, you know, TVs, radios, internet, phones to keep us distracted and busy. So people, you know, live entertainment, that's, that's, that's how you did it. And so there was a side of it with like table turning and seances that was admittedly, it was just entertainment and there were a lot of fakers, but they had cases of people who did these things under controlled um, conditions and they said sometimes, this is one of the odd things about it, they said sometimes it would begin with some kind of an odd movement, like a creak or a, something that was unexplained, but you could say, oh, you know, there's the wood is 
you know, there's a change in temperature enough to make the wood make a loud creaking sound or something like that. And they said that would actually start then much larger things to happen. And it was enough to make people believe it was possible. And once they had the belief in place, then some really wild things started to happen. Um, if you've ever heard of the case of Philip, there was a, a paranormal investigation group. There was an engineer. There was a, a psychiatrist. There were other people there who had interest in it. Like one lady was an accountant. Um, there was a lady who was the president of Mensa in Canada. And so they made up this character named Philip, and then they had a seance or several seances to try to bring Philip in the room. And for a long time, nothing happened. And then one day they decided to change their protocol. Instead of being all serious seance, like, oh, Philip, come to us, manifest in the room. They started doing like 99 bottles of beer on the wall and one for Philip, 99 bottles of beer. And they just, because they'd read uh, somebody's research who had done, you know, decades earlier, who had produced some really outstanding results. And it was actually by making it into a lot of fun. And once they read that and they applied it, they said that they were, it started happening. They did the, okay, so they had table turning happened. There were knocks on the table. They filmed it. And then at one point they did it in front of a live studio audience where they could ask Philip to come and then Philip would show up and start making all these noises and the table was levitating and moving around the room. And there were all these things that happened. Philip was a made up character. So when you look into this and you say, well, this stuff actually has happened under controlled conditions, which most people don't know, they, they, but the public thinks that it's all stage parlor tricks, you know, um, but I thought it was cool that your, you know, that your grandma was there and participated in this. Another thing you can do is anytime you have something psychic fun happen, you say, I love it when that happens, because then you're telling the universe you want even more of it. Great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so don't be afraid of it when it does happen and, and, and embrace it. In fact, the opposite is like, it's like, it's something that's fun. This is the way that the world really works. And it's getting more and more like that. It is as we're finding out that these things are, yeah, are, are actually real and it's a normal part of life. One time when I was talking, talking to my friend on the phone my my best friend that is now no longer here we were talking chatting and i smelled red wine and i said are you drinking wine and she said yeah i am and i'm like oh my god i could literally smell the red wine through the phone receiver i've never had that happen again or since <laughs> yeah learn to learn to trust these things and they'll happen more and so you just it begins with openness and receptivity Kristen, you gave us a wonderful opportunity to learn more about a subject that is it's off the beaten path, but you've shown through your dreams that it really is possible. Oh, thank you. Wow. That is quite the stories. <laughs> Well, we thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on the show and sharing these stories that fully and that truthfully. It was a really, really something. I was actually able to find 
the news articles of several of the events, namely the shooting in Mexico and also the carnival ride on Wimbley Island. Wild. And in the spirit of my late grandmother, since we were just ending on the topic of seances, I was sitting at the dinner table with her, my grandfather, my mother, possibly my father. It might have been my whole immediate family and the two of them. And we were just having dinner with them one night and randomly, and I don't remember why this got brought up, but my grandmother just began talking about a seance that she had gone to when she was a little girl. And if I'm remembering correctly, I believe it was her father that she was going to the seance to try to contact. But she was talking about how sometimes you would go to these kind of things and you would feel their breath or you could smell their cologne or there would be this little bit of sensory input that would happen in the midst of the whole ritual that's happening. And she said she she went in and she, yeah, heard, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, it was her father who had passed away. She'd always heard that he was a big drunk. And she said, my father came to me and was trying to tell me, oh no, you know, they're all lying. I wasn't that way. And she said, but I could smell alcohol on his breath. And she's, she was such a little spitfire. Oh my God, I loved her. She was like, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so I love you, Grandma. I miss you deeply. And uh, yeah, and it was so wild coming out of her mouth because she, she was a very, how do you say this? I guess she was like a very proper woman. I don't know how to say that. Uh, so to like hear this come out of her mouth was wild and even my mother had never heard this story before this wasn't her mother but uh, yeah she had never heard this story before so yeah we were pretty we were pretty blown away by that And with all that said, thank you for sticking around and listening to another episode of the Dreams That Shape Us podcast. This podcast is co-hosted and created by J.M. DeBoard and myself, Steve Erninwine. All of the original music you heard tonight was composed by me, and we are so deeply honored and grateful that all of you keep showing up to listen to these stories. In August, when we put out Lawrence's episode, we hit over 10K total listens and we are through the roof to, to hit this milestone. It's our next big milestone and we are so pumped. We almost tripled our listenership this past year and we have all of you to thank for it. I am so incredibly touched that so many people are listening to this and the grand scheme of virality 10,000 listens doesn't seem that special but to us it means everything 10,000 times 
all of you hit play to listen to stories about dreams, to listen to stories about people's very human lives, their hearts, their souls, their deep medicine, their deep beauty. We thank you so much for listening and being a part of this with us, for coming along on the journey with us. And yeah, we really hope that you stick around. Uh, Third season is almost coming to a close and we're ready to begin our fourth year or I guess our third year, fourth season of the podcast. So, man, we got a couple of pretty awesome stories coming to close up the season. So look forward to that. And like we've always said, we really can't do this without you. If there's any way that you can share these episodes with the people that you know, it helps us grow our reach bigger than we can possibly do on our own. It really helps out more than we can tell you. And if you can leave a, ra- a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify now allows you to do ratings. So if you have it within you to help us algorithmically, algorithmically we would so appreciate that it really helps out more than we can tell you and we love to see your feedback we really do so with all that said i want to give a big and handsome thank you to Kristen katie for telling us this amazing story here today we love yous good night everybody nighty